0: This episode of Jesuitical is sponsored by the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. JVC places passionate young leaders ages 21 to 35 in vital service among marginalized communities. During this year, volunteers live in intentional communities and participate in a year-long Ignatian formation program. JVC is taking applications for incredible placements throughout the country. Apply online at jesuitvolunteers.org/apply.
1: Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Zach Davis, and I am joined by my co-host, Olga Segura. Hey, guys. And Ashley is absent.
0: Yes, which is why, listeners, you had to listen to Zach Davis stumble through what actually makes that look so easy I every know. week.
1: But I have been watching with Envy for quite some time, so I'm finally... So you your, your yeah, chance to It shine. was really nice, yeah.
0: So this is our last episode before we go on break for the summer, so we decided to have a very special drink today. So what's on tap, Zach?
1: So today we are drinking the Kieran Joseph Freeman Jam Jar Gin and Tonics trademark, uh, which is this, it being our last uh, show before summer means we're saying goodbye to a very important person on the podcast this week uh kieran freeman has been on the sticks back in the engineering studio the whole year um he's been making the podcast sound great for you um so to celebrate kieran we had him make us drinks yep so this is his famous it's made in a so it's basically a gin and tonic in a old not old a, a used jar of jam. So yep. you take the leftover jam and so i've got the strawberry tasting mm-hmm. thing
0: it's fancy french jam right
1: F- fancy french jam yeah so kieran thank you here's to you cheers cheers And who are we talking to this week, Olga?
0: This week, we're talking with Katie Gordon, who is the national organizer of Nuns and Nuns, which is a community of Catholic sisters and religiously unaffiliated millennials. And this community was founded back in 2017 to bring women religious and younger spiritual seekers together.
1: Yeah. According to studies, the number of young people who don't identify with a religion keeps growing every year. And over 50,000 U.S. women religious, um, which is... uh, almost 90% are over 60. And so this is a group that tries to take these two groups and facilitates conversations that are centered around justice, spirituality, and community.
0: So we talked to Katie about her work with this group, how her faith has changed during this work and more. But first, we're going to do Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news so you don't have to.
1: What's our first story, Olga?
0: So last week, the Archdiocese of Indianapolis said that a teacher at Berbuff Jesuit Preparatory School should not be rehired after the te- it became public that the teacher was in a same-sex marriage. Um, last week, the school announced that it would refuse. And as a result, the Archdiocese said that the school was no longer allowed to call itself Catholic.
1: Yeah. So this has been a bit of a, like a two-year process. The teacher entered into this civil same-sex marriage in 2017. And that became known Sort of publicly via mm-hmm. social media. And once the archdiocese learned of that, they asked the Jesuit school not to renew it.
0: Right. And the school stated that the teacher should be allowed to remain because they didn't teach religion, which then in a statement, the archdiocese said that regardless of what subject you're teaching, you don't have to be a religion teacher. As a minister in the school, your professional and per- private lives must convey and adhere to. Catholic social teaching. Um, And it just released a decree that went into effect on June 21st, and the Jesuit school can no longer use the term Catholic in its name.
1: Yeah, they can't call themselves Catholic until they, quote, demonstrate their desire to operate in accord with the doctrine and pastoral practice of the Catholic Church, which in this instance probably means firing this teacher. So the president of Burbuff's, uh he stated that the identity of the school as a Catholic Jesuit institution remains unchanged and that Jesuits are going to continue to serve at the school and the sacraments will still be celebrated there.
0: Yeah. And this this is a really sad story because it. It shows the huge breakdown in relationships between the school and the diocese, but it's also really interesting because it shows a tension between a religious order, the Jesuits, and the diocese in a way that I don't think has ever been made visible or public.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And as you mentioned, Sad, it's this disagreement between these two parties that you mentioned over who's got jurisdiction over who and who's got the, who who can make the call essentially, right. In the case of this teacher. And I think while that's happening at, you know, the high church level, most people are looking at this as sort of a referendum on whether or not uh, LGBT teachers have a place in Catholic schools.
0: Right. And a lot of people are wondering, you know, Zach, you mentioned that the question that the school and diocese are focused on is very different from people asking, you know, when is it acceptable to fire only LGBT teachers when other teachers seem to escape scrutiny when they depart from church teaching?
1: Yeah. And this is not the first time that Catholic schools have come under scrutiny for this. We've seen instances of LGBT people being fired from schools, parishes, other church uh, positions, Um, and even more recently after uh, Brabuff announced that it was not going to fire their teacher, a different high school, Cathedral High School in Indianapolis in the same archdiocese as Brebuff announced that they were going to fire one of their uh, gay teachers because they didn't want to split from the archdiocese. So I don't think we're going to see this issue come away soon, especially because an administrator from Brabuff has announced that Brabuff plans to appeal uh, the diocese's decision. And so we will keep you updated on this story as we know more.
0: What's our next story, Zach?
1: American Ancestors announced the GU-272 Memory Project website that details the family histories of 272 enslaved persons who were sold by Georgetown in 1838 to slave owners in Louisiana. And... You might remember this group from a previous episode uh, where we talked to Anita Hicks about her involvement in this project.
0: Right. And Anita Hicks is one of the descendants of the 272 enslaved persons sold by Georgetown. And the new site was announced on Juneteenth, which is, a day that, which is the day that Texas announced the abolition of slavery in 1865, and which more broadly just commemorates the emancipation of African of enslaved African-Americans. And this new website has a lot of really cool resources, not just for descendants but for people who want to learn more about this community
1: yeah and since 2015 they the memory project has helped to identify more than eight thousand descendants of this group of 272 people which um any this all of these revelations um while it's painful it, it it's good news right yeah it's
0: really great news because one it shows that communities and organizations institutions are paying attention to the issue of you know the past of slavery this American Ancestors did this in collaboration with, with the Georgetown Memory Project. And Georgetown has been committed to this issue since 2015. They've been renaming buildings. They've been working with descendants. And to see this new website be created where you can, you know, if you're someone who's wondering if you have ties to any of these enslaved persons, you can find links to it. You can see a timeline from the sale that Georgetown had all the way into the present. So it's, it's really, really
1: helpful. And just to see again, this group sort of get everything as much as they can out in the open is going to lead towards some, hopefully you have to know what the problem is before you can move towards any type of justice. Um, and you know, we we've already been encouraged by different mo- movements for justice at Georgetown. The students voted this past year, um, to pay a fee in order to pay reparations to some of these descendants and, um, Georgetown, the university itself has, did not vote on it on this reparations bill at their last board meeting. But we're hoping for some good news on this topic after summer break. What's our next story, Olga?
0: People around the country have been rightly horrified by the treatment of migrants at the border and immigrants who have already been living here.
1: Yeah. President Donald Trump had announced that there were were going to be mass deportations of undocumented immigrants in 10 major cities across the United States.
0: And one of those cities was Baltimore, where immigration advocates with Catholic Charities and the Esperanza Center held a Know Your Rights presentation, where they offered services and information on how to respond if approached by immigration authorities.
1: Yeah. And the president called off these uh, mass deportations and sort of gave Congress two weeks to change asylum laws. But we thought this was going to be a good story to bring because um, I think people, as you said, Olga, are horrified and mm-hmm. w- are wondering what they can do to help. And that's what, these, that's what Catholics in Baltimore did. And- And turns out you can also do some of these trainings um, on your own. You could host some of these organizations.
0: Correct. And, you know, we've talked to a lot of really great people. We've talked to people from the Catholic Legal Immigration Network, Sister Norma at the border. And you can find ways to not just to get involved and to Donate to these causes.
1: Yeah. And so clinic is the, as you mentioned, the Catholic Legal Immigration Network, and they've been working with immigrants and migrants um, on both sides of the border for for years. And we'll put their website in our show notes. And on there, you can go find the Know Your Rights training, which is going to help keep your you and or your neighbors safe um, during these times. What's our next story, Olga?
0: So a Catholic group was upset that a show called Good Omens is being produced. Now, Good Omens is a show that was recently released on Amazon Prime, and this Catholic group was very upset at how offensive the show is.
1: We cannot comment on how offensive it is. I I have not seen it. Have you seen it?
0: No, I have not.
1: So no idea. It could be good TV, bad TV, in any sense of the word, good and bad. But we can report that this group was uh, so upset that they made a petition that they here's the bummer, accidentally addressed to Netflix instead of Amazon.
0: Right. And Amazon had a pretty funny response and tweeted at Netflix saying, hey, at Netflix, we'll cancel Stranger Things if you guys cancel Good Omens.
1: Yeah. And again, we haven't seen the show, but we—it it is a good reminder to fact check your petitions, uh, especially if you are really into something and upset about something.
0: Zach, have you ever made a petition and... Have you spelled everything right in set petitions?
1: You know, this is actually... Uh, I've, I have a list of things that are pet peeves of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and online petitions are 100% one of them. I recognize that a lot of people see them as vehicles for expressing their voice. However, it, I've yet to see one thing ever in the world that was changed because of an online petition. And so I tend to be kind of skeptical of them.
0: I do. I do appreciate petitions. You know, I, I've seen a lot related to, you know, racial justice or even rights at the border. But anything that involves shows, I'm just like, don't do this. Like, oh, I th- I think earlier this year, people were petitioning against Game of Thrones.
1: You're right. You're right. People feel like they own, own the culture. When it comes to shows, I tend to just not watch ones I don't like. There's a ton of TV out there or just Complain very loudly in front of my coworkers.
0: Joining us via Skype today is Katie Gordon, the national organizer of nuns and nuns. Welcome to Jesuitical, Katie.
2: Thank you. So good to be here.
0: Yeah, we're super excited to be chatting with you. So first question, you've been involved with Nuns and Nuns since 2017. What are the Nuns and Nuns?
2: So Nuns and Nuns, spelled N-U-N-S, Catholic Sisters, and N-O-N-E-S, Non-Religious Millennials, is a collaboration between those two groups. And nuns and nuns is actually kind of a misnomer. Um, We usually get that out of the way right after we start (laughs) gathering and start the conversation. Um, Most of the women religious we work with actually don't go by nuns. They go by sister. Um, And most of the millennials that end up coming to our gatherings Um, aren't really non-religious, you know, they have a complicated backstory. They might be spiritual, but not religious. They might be seeking. They might be identified with a particular tradition, but just not have a place to practice that with other people. And so it's really, uh, it's really a group of seekers. Both the sisters and millennials really identify as seekers. And so we come together and, um, and build relationships and talk about what we can do together.
1: So I, I guess we should establish for the purposes of this audio interview, uh, when we say uh, nuns, we'll be referring to the NONES, the, the younger people who are seeking. And we'll, we'll refer to the NUNS as women religious or religious sisters.
0: It'll be easier for our listeners.
1: And me. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and Katie, what what kind of things do you guys talk about at these gatherings?
2: It really ranges. I mean, we we share our stories with each other. So the sisters will often in in sort of getting to know each other just share who they are, um, what they're calling, what their story of calling is, how they became a sister. And then um, millennials too share our stories um, of our own searching and our own becoming. So there are so many different topics that can take place. Like how do you build community? What happens when you're having challenges in community. And one of my favorite events that we've done is watch this film called Radical Grace. That's a story of three sisters, three activist sisters um, from the US and learning about their stories. And then Um, sparking conversation and dialogue from there.
1: Katie, I wonder if what makes these two groups sort of, uh, well-suited to be paired together. I mean, other than the obvious, you know, branding benefits of nuns and nuns, right? Like what, what makes these conversations particularly fruitful?
2: Right. Yeah. Well, I, it was a surprise to us too, that this was actually a really amazing group of people to bring together.
1: Did it happen by accident at first or why was it such a surprise?
2: Yeah. Well, so that's kind of related to my story and how I got um, involved with nuns and nuns. I was um, living in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I was an interfaith organizer there. And so I was meeting a lot of different um, communities and faith communities and started to meet the sisters that way. And, um, and they just had really interesting backstories that I slowly started to learn. Like this one worked at the UN for 20 years, and this one started a neighborhood arts and culture organization on the west side. And um, they just lived these really fascinating lives that were committed to human rights and social justice and community life. And that surprised you? Well, I didn't know anything about Catholic sisters. So I was raised Catholic, but had no exposure to sisters and didn't know their legacy. And they're really—they've—they've they've been a part of so many of our um, country's history's great—you know—social justice efforts and—and um, and so much. They've been sort of behind a lot of incredible things in this country. But their stories, I don't think, have been told as much as they should be. And so it was all new information to me. And so um, I was looking then at my friends who are largely millennials, and we were social workers or organizers, and really looking for relationships with people who we could collaborate with. And these sisters seemed to have been living out these ministries for often 50 plus or 60 plus years. So it just seemed like, oh, maybe there's something we could learn from each other if we just got into the same room.
0: Right. And Katie, social justice seems to be a very common denominator between both these groups. Do you see that the sisters and the millennials or the nuns champion the same causes, or do you see any kind of differences between the two groups?
2: Yeah, I think by and large, we really do commit ourselves to similar causes. Um, I mean there's right now um, I know a lot of the conversations we've been having are around the climate crisis and mm-hmm. just like what do we do mm-hmm. um, how can we collaborate uniquely together um, in our own con- in our own communities and and do something in a small way to to help um, or immigration and what's happening at the border um, working with refugees there's a lot of uh, services and justice efforts that both communities are really committed to. And so we've been able to use our gatherings to really organize around that and to think about like, what is it that we can support one another in, um, and there have been some nuns and nuns groups, um might not meet regularly but Mm. when the sisters organize a march they'll invite the millennials Hmm. or when the millennials are organizing a letter writing campaign they'll invite the sisters to come so there's a lot of support like that going on
1: always a good idea to get the nuns involved either either one Uh, (laughs) yes we should also add that there's uh there's this residency uh, aspect of nuns and nuns, too, where um, why would someone who is a nun, someone who's not a young person who's not particularly religious, want to live with a woman religious? Uh, what what types yeah. of people does that typically draw in?
2: So the, the place that the residency came from is that after a couple years of experimenting with just different types of gatherings, different ways of gathering together, one of the things that became really clear from the millennials was that they were seeking intentional community. Mm-hmm. They wanted sort of a container for their community life for their spiritual life to explore to deepen Um, and that became really clear that sisters have that right they have their convents or monasteries and they have this container that holds them and so there's so much to learn from sisters and just being in that space Um, and so we sort of we put out a call to see if anyone um, any of our sister partners would be interested in trying that with us doing this pilot residency. So for six months, um, and they just moved out in May, actually. So from November through May, we had five millennials living at the Mercy Center in Burlingame.
1: Does it ever get awkward? I imagine maybe some might think that the conversations around chastity, for example, could get awkward, but maybe not.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, that conversation was actually like one of the most interesting and exciting for us to talk about. And for the millennials that were in that conversation, you know, they didn't talk about necessarily like a commitment to celibacy or chastity, but a commitment to deprivatized love, to love outside of the nuclear family, to Mm -hmm. living love in community. And so there are all these ways that it was sort of broken open to much more than how we typically think of vows. Um, but to just the expansive way that actually sort of committing yourself to something can allow you to live much more freely.
0: So Katie, are there any rules around the conversations that can happen between the millennials and the sisters when they're in community together? Like, do the nuns ever try to convert the young people or vice versa?
2: Yeah. Well, no, that hasn't happened. It doesn't happen. There's... um, there's a spirit of understanding as when the conversations start about sort of we're there for that mutuality to learn from one another and to meet each other where we're at. Um, and I think that, you know, I've asked, uh, I've asked sisters and I've asked millennials, like, how is it do you think that we build that trust within this group? Like so quickly, so immediately where we can actually like enter into that conversation and know we're not trying to convert each other. And the sisters always say it's the spirit, right? Like (laughs) we don't know, but it's there and we're trusting it and we're, we're leaning into it. And, um, I think it's, it's sort of in the name, right? Nuns and nuns that we're, we're bringing you together because of who you are and we're not asking that for to be different, Mm. but we just want to see how we can learn from one another and, and what we can do together.
1: Do you think that changes if there are any young people that from this program start to become more interested in religious life?
2: You know, there have been um, people who come to these gatherings that might identify as Catholic. Like, I am Catholic, but I'm a millennial and I'm still seeking community. Right. Um, Or even a couple young people who are discerning religious life have actually used Nuns and Nuns as a space of discernment because they wanted sort of like the real story of sisters. Like, I want to be with sisters Mm. when they're not trying to get me to show up for something, (laughs) right?
1: Yeah
0: you help to facilitate these gatherings between sisters and millennials, but you're, you're also a self-described nun yourself. Um, what has been the most fruitful or special part of this experience with this organization for you?
2: Yeah. Well, I think back to one of my first conversations with a sister where <clears throat> I was still getting to know them. And I sort of like nervously told her that I wasn't Catholic and that I was maybe agnostic, maybe atheist, I'm not sure. <laughs> and she said, oh, that's okay. Sometimes I'm not sure either. And I was like, wow, like I, <laughs> I feel so seen. I feel so heard. Um, and I just, I think after that conversation and feeling so okay with who I was, because the sister was okay with who I was, has really just... Um, Sort of reaffirmed me in in who I am and um, and feeling like I can still grow and and shift within that. But but it's a good place to be. And I mean, there are so many ways that nuns and nuns has changed me. I just moved into a monastery a few weeks ago. You know, like that's someone call that a big change? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I, just graduated divinity school and when I went to divinity school two years ago, I was going to study sort of spiritual innovation and where is community happening outside of religious traditions. And then I graduate and leave and I move into a monastery. <laughs> like, <laughs> who would have thought? Um, but really it's, um, I'm with the Erie Benedictine sisters this summer in Erie, Pennsylvania. And I just feel like, you know, they have this vow of sort of of being converted every day. <laughs> and in my own way, I feel like I'm, I'm actually living into that, too. Just like seeing the world anew because of living in community with these sisters, these monastic sisters. Um, and just learning, you know, about the vow of stability and committing yourself to one place, to one group of people for your life. And just seeing what can happen out of that. You know, me as a millennial that tends to move around, that tends not to commit to very many things. Um, I'm just growing and stretching a lot, as I think we all are that are a part of this project, just stretching in ways that are very unexpected.
1: I think that's a very relatable sentiment for a lot of people our age, especially. Um, we do have one final question, though.
0: Katie, yeah. we ask all our guests this. If you could canonize anyone, Catholic or not, living or dead, who would it be and why?
2: I would canonize Grace Lee Boggs. She's an organizer from Detroit area and was a part of a lot of different community organizing, Black liberation organizing, labor organizing. And she was someone whose story I learned as agnostic, as spiritual, as seeking. She wrote that building community is a spiritual practice. And she she sort of lived that out in her life. And so she's someone who I follow in my own life and hope that others can learn more about her too.
1: All right. Well, St. Grace Lee Boggs. Katie, Great. where can people find out more about nuns and nuns?
2: So we have a website and it is spelled N U N S and N O N E S.org. So nuns and nuns.org. And then we have a newsletter as well. We've been writing a lot of stories in the last few weeks about our own experiences, um, sort of playing off one of the haikus that Sister Janet provided with us. She said, um, surprise, we're soulmates after her first gathering <laughs> with us. So we've been writing some pieces with the hashtag surprise, we're soulmates um, and sharing those stories online. So you can find them on social media, on our newsletter list and email. And if anyone's interested in connecting with a community in their own area, there are more and more sprouting up now and probably more in the next few months. And we're increasingly sort of developing Resources to help people do that. And so they can find out more information online and then they can always reach out to us um, to chat more.
1: Awesome. awesome. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks, Katie. Yeah, thank you both. Thanks.
0: This episode of Jesuitical is sponsored by the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. JVC places passionate young leaders, ages 21 to 35, in vital service among marginalized communities. During this year, volunteers live in intentional communities and participate in a year-long Ignatian Formation program. JVC is taking applications for incredible placements throughout the country. Apply online at JesuitVolunteers.org slash apply.
1: And we have some more news. It is summer break, and so Jesuitical is going to be going away for a little bit. But if you're thinking, wow what am I going to do without all this great Catholic content in my life? Dear listener, we have an offer for you. Uh, For listeners of Jesuitical, especially America magazine is doing an introductory offer for 10 issues of America. So that's like what? Like, like five five months almost? Yep. Yeah. So like yep. we publish every two weeks. So 10 issues for $15. And that's going to get you unlimited access on americamagazine.org too.
0: And that way you can see what the three of us do when we're not working on this show, which is editing a lot of the great content that you see online and in our print issues.
1: americamag.org slash offer15 for 10 issues of America Magazine for $15. All right, it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Olga?
0: So I've got a consolation this week. I went to a Protestant church this past weekend and at the service, instead of having the usual sermon from a pastor, they invited a transgender woman up to the pulpit and she talked about her experience um, with her own faith, with her family. And this was the first time I've ever seen a transgender woman speak in a church setting. And I was able to hear firsthand what her experience has been like. And it was just really consoling for me to see that God has very has been very active in her life and to just see how she's willing to talk to people she doesn't know about this. Um, so it was just really wonderful to be in that space. And it was the first time for me.
1: Yeah, and especially in faith communities that are not always you know, super welcoming, that's like really brave.
0: Right, right. What do you have this week, Zach?
1: I have a desolation this week, uh, things at home right now are really home in Ohio, um, are really tough just with a few different family members health. Um, and this week in particular was especially tough. And I was really listening to the evil spirit telling me, you know, I, am feeling like I can't be there. I can't be there to help. Um, I'm not useful and you're not helping out family that's struggling right now, um, Which, in a sense, makes me feel just sort of like confused and unsure about my vocation here in New York and doing this. Um, And I know that's the evil spirit. And when it was posed to me, it's like, okay, well, if you're listening to that voice, what is the voice of God saying? This is what Father Eric said to me. And the truth is, I haven't been in a space to ask that even. And so... I know that's what I've got to do this week. In addition to praying for all these people and like doing what I can, um, asking where is, where's God actually calling me right now? Because, um, sort of wallowing in this uncertainty and confusion is not, not ideal.
0: Yeah. And it's not easy to, to give into that. Like you said, evil spirit, especially when it comes to family, because it's so easy to be hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, but your family knows that you love them and you're wonderful and don't give into that evil spirit. Thank you,
1: Olga. All right, let's read the last credits of the season. I don't know if we talk about the shows and season, but we're going on summer break, and we'll see you. We'll see you in a couple months. Ashley also wanted us to pass along her her well wishing. Have a great summer from everyone at Jesuitical. Jesuitical is produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Faith formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. Production help from Kieran Freeman for the last time, and he crushed it as a bartender today, too. Kieran, thank you so much for everything you've done for the show, um, that you will continue to do for the show. I'm sure you will promote it as an art teacher in D.C. Um, thank you again. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show, and please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcast, and leave us a review when you've got all this time on your hands this summer. Shout out this week to Genzing Making. Lorian Phoenix, and Grosh. Scrosh. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Loeschert studio at America Media in New York City. For America Media and Olga Segura, I'm Zach Davis. We will see you in the fall.